Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. On this episode, I'm joined by Monica Guzman. Monica is a senior fellow for public practice at Braver Angels, a nonprofit working to depolarize America. She's also the host of A Braver Way, a podcast that equips people with the tools they need to bridge the political divide in their everyday lives. And on top of all that, Monica is the author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. I discovered Monica's work by listening to the Braver Way podcast, which recently wrapped up its first season. On the podcast, Monica is joined by guests from across the political spectrum to unearth tools and insights and messy real-life stories that can guide listeners over political and cultural divides. So whether you're red, blue, or something entirely different, I found that A Braver Way can help you discover perspectives you might not agree with, but you'll certainly come away with a better understanding of. I really enjoyed my conversation with Monica, and I hope you do too. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives in every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do follow, subscribe, and share. Now on to my conversation with Monica Guzman. Hello, Monica Guzman. Welcome to Making Media Now. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And uh, we are, what brought you onto my radar uh, was your podcast uh, called A Braver Way. You did 10 episodes. Season one just wrapped up about a month or so ago. And I want to talk a lot about that podcast. I want to talk about what went into uh, why it felt necessary for you to be part of the creation of that podcast. But I also want to start out by just chatting a little bit about your about you. I know you have a uh, background in journalism. How did you come to be doing the type of work that you are doing? And, you know, what did you see as kind of the drivers in your life that led you down the professional path that you that you chose? Now I'm working on bridge building across the political divide in the United States, which is, you know, hard yeah. and strange <laughs> yeah. and spooky. And uh, sometimes you wonder what the heck you're even doing. It seems so, so big. Um but it's absolutely what I need to be doing. And and a lot of signs in my life, I think, did point here. You mentioned my background in journalism. So I got into journalism right out of college. I had developed this fascination with people. I used to be a really shy kid. Mm-hmm. But I think um, as I trace my life, there were all these moments where my shyness went up against my fascination with people and eventually just lost, eventually died. And I just, <laughs> I became this big, like, ball of questions rolling around the world trying so the, to get the curiosity won out over the shyness. Exactly. Because <laughs> uh, people are such deep mysteries and they're just so fun. Um, but of course, I never sort of fully got there in my journalism. It happened over and over again that I would assume all kinds of things about the story I was writing. I just need to go talk to this person, get the quote and be done. But Mm -hmm. time and time again, I would go talk to this person, sit down, get to know this person, get absorbed, realize the story was very different from what I thought and be really delighted and also sort of overwhelmed with the work I had to do to, you know, correct my assumptions um, and do better journalism as a result. So I find it 
really, really important to the workings of the world that people have ways of really understanding each other, even past our own lenses and biases and the things we don't see. Um, the other thing that led to this work is uh, my, my family. So my parents and I are Mexican immigrants. Um, we came over when I was like six mm -hmm. and I grew up in New England, as you and I talked about a bit before we started recording. Um, and we became citizens in the year 2000. And I was sort of obviously a Democrat and my parents were very proudly Republican. Okay. And I was like, what? What is did that? You, did you grow up in a household where politics were discussed a lot? I mean, before we became citizens, Yes, we did discuss them, but it was always sort of theoretical, like observing from afar. Mm -hmm. And then after we became citizens, well, gosh, you know, I was just a year away from being able to vote and then my parents could vote and they absolutely did. So then it became real. So, yeah, my, my, my parents cared a lot about what was going on and so did I. So um, dinner table conversations got pretty fiery. We went to see movies all the time. So Michael Moore documentary. <laughs> Your conservative parents didn't embrace Michael Moore. No. <laughs> Me and my brother were like, did you see? Did you see? You know, Bowling for Columbine. Like, do you see what he says about guns? He like total mic drop. Like, that was it. And my parents were like, that was trash. And then it was just just like to start at such a big divide and try to close that gap was, you know, oodles of fun in the car drive on the way home. Um, so and yet. Right. And yet, despite the giant gulf in our politics, uh, we've had years where we we stick it out. We. We still, we get curious. Yeah. Wait, why? How could you think that? No, but really, how? How could you think that? And then you stop Was that and you the listen. type of inquiry they were open to? In other words, if you were to ask them, tell me about the, the roots of that belief? Mm hmm. Yes, although that's simplifying it down too much. I mean, you know, for example, with my mother, the biggest political difference she and I have that she cares the most about for sure is abortion. She's mm -hmm. very pro-life and I'm very pro-choice. Mm -hmm. We had so many conversations. She actually volunteered at a, at a clinic to help, you know, counsel women um, who were thinking about having an abortion, try to counsel them away from the decision. And she would come home crying. She would come home traumatized by some of these stories. And so I did not really have the option mm -hmm. of dismissing her as, Oh, she doesn't see it my way. She's ignorant. She's whatever. No, I saw the emotion. I saw the deep caring that she had for people. So clearly it couldn't be that way. But it also meant that when we would disagree, right, and I would come at it very clinically, I had to be careful about the emotions of things, right? right. And she, for me, on the issues that matter more to me. Yeah, that's saying a lot. If if both of you were engaged in sort of, you know, respectful inquiry into why do you think that way or what leads you to think that way, that's that's a big difference. It is. And and those questions uh, are, you know, recognizing both in my journalism and in my family conversations yeah. that curiosity can open doors. It can calm things down when the temperature is too hot. It can maintain and repair relationships when differences threaten them. I mean, that's amazing. It's a lot of power for this, you know, sort of cerebral virtue, this intellectual thing that we do. Sure. So, um, yeah, so the book that I wrote and the work that I, I do with Braver Angels, this large nonprofit dedicated to uh, political depolarization is, is largely about that. It's about, can we pause? Can we pause when we want to flare up and react? Can we stop and can we ask? And can we ask things like, how did you come to believe what you believe? 
which invites people to take you on a tour of the path they took to their views rather than why do you believe what you believe, which can sound really loaded, like you're putting someone on trial. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one is an invitation to conversation and, and sharing. The other is judgment. And, and exactly. if people enter, there, there are certain topics around which I think people are almost trained to think that if you're going to enter a conversation about politics, you better have all your talking points in a, in, in a row and, yes. and be ready to hear that person's talking points. Right. And that that's just that's a conversation killer. It's an inquiry killer. And it's really a discovery killer because you you lose the opportunity to learn more about that person as a person. Yes. And you basically just see them as a cartoon representative for, you know, whatever, whatever constitutes the other side. Exactly. So you, you mentioned uh, Braver Angels, which is a nonprofit that works to depolarize America. Uh, were you part of the building blocks of, of Braver Angels? Did, was, that, was that your idea? Was that your uh, vision? No, no, not at all. So Braver Angels was founded by um, three pretty extraordinary people, including a renowned family therapist named Bill Doherty. Hmm. So right after the 2016 election, they sensed what was going on in the country, uh, Bill Doherty, a man named David Blankenhorn, who's had his own extraordinary experiences with the political divide, and uh, a man named David Lapp came together and ended up doing the very first Brave Angels workshop in South Lebanon, Ohio. In a church in South Lebanon, Ohio, they brought together an equal number of Trump voters and Clinton voters. Mm -hmm. And because Bill Doherty was a, was a marriage therapist, he decided, well, what if I take the same methods that I would bring to couples counseling mm -hmm. to try to get them to see what what they're not seeing and when they drift apart the contempt and the disgust and try to get them past that he brought that into the political divide and it turned out it worked really well some of those people at that first workshop still know each other and are very close friends wow. um, but since then braver angels has grown to about 50 programs 100 chapters across the country it's it's a huge awesome thing and i got swept up in it you got swept up on it and then a braver way podcast came into the world uh, now that you have gone through one full season 10 episodes and i encourage everybody to to check it out it's you know 10 conversations there's one two-parter around covid and mm -hmm. sort of different perspectives mm -hmm. on on covid and the response and what was necessary etc but there is a there's a plethora of of insight not just from the left and the right but various insights from the so-called left and various thoughts from the you know the so-called right um there's a wonderful conversation that you have with david brooks the uh, new york times columnist among other places he also writes in the atlantic and of all of the episodes, the one that I actually had to keep stopping and thinking about mm -hmm. a lot was your final episode, which was, I think you titled it like an Ask Me Anything. Mm -hmm. But you've got four people, and what I was envisioning was a roundtable, because it's a yes. podcast, I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. um, and what was really fascinating was it became very clear that this is, this is and perhaps will always be, a work in progress. And... Mm -hmm. You don't come away from your podcast thinking, all right, well, I got the, I got the bottom line on that topic. Let's mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. What you're getting the bottom line on, I think, is the power of conversation mm -hmm. and, you know, finding the human behind the position points. And in the, the, uh, the final episode that I was just speaking of, there's some really what could be difficult exchanges if people were afraid of, of the, 
of honest exchange. Mm-hmm. There, there were there were certainly people that were experiencing as humans the impact of different issues differently because of what they brought to the conversation. Exactly. How did you go about sort of outlining? what those 10 episodes were going to be like, and what was your objective when you started out? Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, I think it's so... I I was just kind of taking mental notes even as you were talking because this podcast is still so new, and I really believe in listening loudly to how folks hear them uh, and and what it comes off to. So just what you were saying about episode 10, I was like, oh, wow, awesome. Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, how we how we decided what those episodes would be like is it was a lot of planning it was a whole lot of work we wanted to have an overall season that had a balance of voices from the left and the right and the middle and all of that mm-hmm. um but that basically was every episode we wanted every single episode to do really good work on what we think of as the mission of the podcast and the mission which we're focused on as much as we can be, is to equip people with the tools they need to bridge the political divide in their own lives and confront the barriers in their way. So every single guest idea had to be filtered through that, right? And we also had this, it was a challenge, but we had this um, criterion for our guests that our guests should be people who have demonstrated courage in in bridging the political divide, in in braving the political divide. So each of our guests did that in some way, or at the very least sort of had encountered so many others who had done it. For example, we had a somatic therapist on our fifth episode, incredible episode, who's just like seeing all these people be traumatized by, you know, in his case, Trump mostly, because he lived in a blue part of the country. So he got to, you know, share what that was like. But, but anyway, the idea is that Look, we, we can't just talk about this like some pretty concept, you know, right. some intellectual thing that you read books about and research and, and that's it. This is about this is about life and this is about the heat of the moment. This is about conversations that make you freeze in place because they're terrifying. Right. So so really to help people get those tools they need for those moments, we need to talk to people who've been there, done that even if they failed a little bit, right? Especially if they failed a little bit, because as you said, I think you're right. The bottom line of the podcast is, is the power of conversation. It's, it's, it's in a way I, I would hope that folks after hearing some episodes understand that there are no answers here. The right. point is, is better questions. And the point is questions that don't stop. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a fascinating criterion, uh, courage. And even the, the, the title of the podcast, A Braver Way, uh, braver is m- absolutely accurate because it really does take a degree of courage and bravery to have what on the surface could be dismissed as a difficult conversation. And yet when you think about the relationships in your life that mean the most to you, those are the ones that you are hopefully willing to brave a difficult conversation because you so believe that this mutual understanding in the long run is going to be so mutually beneficial to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And in fact, going into season two, you know, our mission has been equip people with the tools they need to bridge the political divide. And for season two, we decided, you know what, let's not say bridge, let's say brave, to yeah. brave the political divide. Because I I think that um, huh, 
in the cons- in, in in most people's imaginations, bridging the political divide means, you know, I've really talked to this person who completely opposes me and we totally get it. And that's a little hard, you know, for some. Well, the other thing that's interesting about bridges, too, is, you know, as a metaphor, does that mean that you stay on your side of the chasm? I'm going to do all this work to construct this so-called bridge. I'll come over to you just so you can dismiss me. We're not talking about building a bridge so we can meet in the meet in the middle. Right. In fact, I noticed in in your podcast, oftentimes you you underscore the the uh, the notion that the goal here isn't to create a world of centrists. This the, this isn't to meet in some you know Pollyanna ish middle. Mm-hmm. Why is that an important distinction for you? Oh, it's extremely important. It's extremely important. We th- this is a this is a a misconception, but a very understandable one that's applied to what is often termed the bridging space or you know whatever label you want to give it. Uh, that it does seem like, man, they just want us to be nice and they just want us to come to the middle, which means they want me to abandon my deeply held beliefs. Right. They want me to um, turn away from you know the folks that I care about or the issues that I think really matter to compromise with the other side, but, you know, and then people marshal all the wonderful logical reasons why that's stupid, <laughs> you know, like, no, <laughs> and they're right. This is not about coming to the middle. This is about, this is about seeing the world clearly at all. And and then this is the, the reframe that I, gosh, I just keep trying to find new and new and better ways to try to uh, pass this on, which is that when, when, when you are, really enmeshed in one side of things um and you're you're surrounded by folks who agree with you you sure you you might be right overall you might be right you might you might be on the right side of history you might be on the right side of this issue but i can guarantee you that the way you look at the opposition which you're probably trying to convert is totally wrong you probably see more extreme views there than actually exist you probably assume more malevolent motives for their beliefs than actually exist. And so what we have is this polarization where we're just at war in too many contexts. And when you're at war, when you're acting out of fear, you can't listen, you can't understand. And so it's really hard to build and maintain a thriving society across difference when that's the way we see things. So so the debates as they're currently constructed in our discourse, aren't even accurate. That's not what the issues are really about. But because people aren't checking their assumptions with the reality of actual living, breathing people who just come to a different conclusion on things, and we don't go and ask and inquire and get curious about why, we're just going to live with our own presumptions. I mean, that's a world that's so divided, it's blinded. That's about not even seeing the world as it is. So you're going to be you're going to live more scared. You're going to be far less able to actually persuade others because you're going to be thinking they're crazy, stupid or evil. You're going to condescend to them before you even get started. You're going to want to win and show your superior. You're going to get nowhere. So there, there is like no good thing <laughs> to come out of sticking with uh, a sort of righteous in curiosity. And so that that's the reframe I would put on. I have met so many deeply convicted, right, activists on one side or the other who are radically curious and therefore effective. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we need. Radical curiosity. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, what did you learn about 
through the many, many conversations that you've had as a journalist and as part of um, Braver Way and uh, Braver Angels, what did you learn about what events take place in people's lives to inform them with um, the political viewpoints that they have. I often feel like a person's political positions are oftentimes um, a real interesting psychological profile of that mm. person that, you know, and th this is a this is a stereotype, but, you know, maybe when they were growing up, they were bullied. And so they've always hated bullies and they came to project bullying onto, you know, certain uh, certain personality types mm -hmm. in the political realm, but maybe even in terms of certain cultural forces. Um, the 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 other thing could be, you know, somebody who grew up in a place of the only way they could get somebody's attention was always through the acquisition of more, that the only arbiter of success in wherever they grew up was about having more stuff. And then therefore, whatever whatever political party tends to applaud that definition mm -hmm. of achievement is the one they're going to uh, mm -hmm. gravitate toward. But I'm curious if any revelations came forth in terms of the relationship between a psychological makeup and political leanings in all of the conversations you've had. Jeez, what a great question. It's a big question. And it's not one that I have a real ready answer for. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is uh, an anecdote that I put in my book because it really struck me. Uh, and it was learning about uh, a Latino man who, you know, had become a citizen. This was some years ago. And he wasn't sure which political party he would be part of. And so he showed up at this sort of politics fair or something. And there was the Democrat table and the Republican table. And um, he went up to to the Democrat table, and he was, you know, not not wealthy by any by any means, you know, um, just kind of a young man, just kind of getting started. And the woman, uh, he he asked the person at the table, you know, what's the difference? Like, what what is a Democrat and Republican? How should I decide? And and she said, well, you know, the um, the the Republicans are the party for you know the rich, but we Democrats like we're for we're for sort of the common man. I'm thinking like. That means you're with us. And he just said, okay, bye. And he went, he went to go for the party for the rich because the way he thought about it, it was, it was what he aspired to, sure. you know, not what he was. Right. So um, yeah. I, I guess that story comes to mind because our politics are, I think the, it's the result of a lot of experiences in our lives, but it's also, it's also almost like the mathematical kind of uh, formulation uh, that comes from our values and how we tend to see things. I mean, you mentioned some, you know, some generalized examples where some politician, some issue, some way that some debate has been framed reminds you of something in your past that that you have strong feelings about. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens over and over and over again. Uh, I mentioned episode five of A Braver Way. We talked with a somatic therapist and he was talking about after the 2017 election, how many women came in to see him who had, and this was democratic women. It was a liberal part of the country. Understand, right? Um, how many women came in with this sort of trauma that had been brought up by some of the comments Trump makes about women, but, and they thought, I, I, I'm mad at Trump. And it's like, you've never met Trump. Your your trauma about how men have treated you is coming up and Trump is reminding you of that past trauma, putting you into this state of fear. Mm -hmm. And and so that means 
your your politics are going to get so much more pronounced against that threat, right? That sense of threat. So that that happens over and over and over again in a million ways that we're not even aware of right. to all of us. In addition to the podcast, I uh, you also wrote a book called I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. And you have a great TED Talk. I can't remember. What, what year was the TED Talk? Oh, uh, it came out in 2022, but recorded in fall of 21. You have a great quote in that TED Talk where you say, whoever is underrepresented in your life is overrepresented in your imagination. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about what that means and and how that actually works to the detriment of mutual understanding. The thing is, right, with the way that our society is stacked right now, and there's lots of social research into this, that it, in, in prior generations, it was more common to have webs of difference overlap in different ways. So, you know, you might take your kid to the baseball game and well, there's somebody whose kid is also at, on the baseball team and has completely different politics from you, and this is other one and this other one. But now, so many of the counties across the United States are supermajority counties, so they tend to have landslides one way or the other. You know, our political parties love this; they're trying to enhance that. So there's trends. And oftentimes, toward... that's a byproduct of gerrymandering. Exactly. So there's gerrymandering is one thing, but also we're seeing more and more evidence that people are moving to places where they feel politically comfortable. Right. So we are sorting. It's it's often called the big sort. We're sorting into politically like minded groups, culturally like minded groups wherever we can. So when you are surrounded by people who share your instincts, you're also surrounded by people who share your blind spots. So uh, conversation you know, actual interaction, full exchange with someone who's different from you is an extraordinary way to get humble about, you know, those things that you may not see uh, all the way through. Mm -hmm. But when we don't have a lot of chances to do that in our daily lives, spontaneous collisions with difference just reduce, then... (laughs) then it becomes that much more important, this this truism, that whoever is underrepresented in your life will be overrepresented in your imagination because now all those people, like-minded people you're surrounded by, well, gosh, it's a scary world. And those people who voted that way are coming after us. Right. And we're going to talk about them, and we're going to talk about them, and we're going to talk about them, and we're going to make them monsters in our minds. So, And then we're going to get consumed because everything that's wrong with our lives is their fault. And so they're they're going to get the 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 reality, right? The what's in our imagination about the this person or a person who could do this or believe this and the actual person or people. The gap is going to be so big. And um and we're going to believe what's in our imagination. But it's in our imagination. Right. You know, like we, right. <laughs> where did that come from? I mean, if it came from, you know, signals in the media, Often it's because somebody wrote a clever thought piece that sounded very confident with a couple of statistics. And then we decided, you know what? Yeah, I know. I now know why those other people voted that way. I don't need to talk to anybody. And if you take that, if you take that very human tendency to do exactly as what you were just taught, you were calling it sorting, but that very human tendency to sort of, you know, uh, gravitate toward like-minded individuals. And then you introduce something like social media 
which is a force accelerant on that. So not only am I gravitating toward ideas that resonate with me, and and they've been uh, echoed by the millions of other people on the same social media platform, and they agree with those ideas, but... I've also come to demonize those who yeah. don't hold those ideas. So now I've got now I'm empowered by two things. All these people who agree with me on what's right and all these people that agree with me that anyone who doesn't think my way is the enemy. Yep. In this type of work have you observed that there is more effort say from one side of the conversation to understand and build that bridge that we were speaking of? those on the other side, you know, then the opposite is true. So, Mm -hmm. you know, since 2016, I can't tell you how many uh, CNN reports, New York Times reports, etc. I've read around, uh, you know, urban elites going to diners somewhere in middle America Mm -hmm. to try to understand the Trump voter. Mm -hmm. I can't remember a single instance of somebody from Fox News or um, One America going to a farmer's market to understand Mm -hmm. a progressive. Mm -hmm. Am I missing something or does Mm -hmm. it feel like the effort isn't equally valued? Well, both things you just said are true. You are missing something and it does feel like the effort is not equally valued. Point me Um, in the way. (laughs) But it does feel like the effort is not equally valued. Uh, I I think that that is true. And that feeling is like shared. Uh, I have had that feeling many times, but, um, but I mean, I've found like Glenn, Glenn Beck, for example, Glenn I Beck saw has your conversation with him several times. Just, yeah, apart from my conversation with him, he's done some extraordinary sort of bridge building type uh, work. Um, and there's churches, uh, mm-hmm. lots of church communities and mm-hmm. local faith communities that tend to be more conservative or more conservative leaning areas uh, do extraordinary type of bridge building that a lot of liberals and cities just don't even see. So there's there's a lot that gets missed uh, because yeah. we just tend to we just tend to see what we see. Right. And then not necessarily know what we don't see. That's so, an excellent um, point. you know, what I mean, like, yeah, <clears throat> particularly the faith based things yeah. like being a good secular liberal. Right. I I sort of thought, well, that's that's different. That's a whole other category. But the closer I got to faith based uh, bridging, the more I understood and like, no, 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 no this is real and it's beautiful and there ought to be more communion between different kinds of bridging. Um, and it's a way a lot of communities get to know each other. I mean, it's, it's magic. It's wonderful. So, so yeah, I, um, I, I am not confident based on what I've seen that one side has more of a proclivity toward understanding the other. I think that one thing that is true about my side, this I've become quite convinced about, I suppose, but I could always be wrong is that I believe liberals have a lot more anxiety about the other side. So in other words, um, they're, they're more prone to catastrophize um, w- w- what could actually take place were, say, Trump to win in 2024 yeah. or for you know the right-wing agenda to be implemented as fully as they fear. Yeah, I think, I think that the Trump you know, years were sort of a deeper shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've heard people say, well, Obama was a big shock to the red side, which it was. And yeah. I've I've talked with my parents about it. it was a deep, deep shock. But the thing is, I mean, look, there's this is an onion. Peel back the layers, right? Absolutely. The other thing is that it's the liberal side who tends to be more kind of at the levers of popular culture, of major media, and so the conversation the country has with itself and can hear the loudest 
is coming from a more left-coded perspective. And in that world, uh, you know, the Trump side was the big shock and the Trump thing and that that red thing that's been happening is what's wild and crazy and we got to get our heads around. And so those of us who believe ourselves to be wonderful and great, we're going to go and bridge. Let's do it. Right. So that's where that whole thing comes from. But I don't want to dismiss like conservatives have been very shocked, too. I mean, boy, we've got people who are like Biden, man. It's terrible for our country, everything he's been doing. It's just that, I don't know, it just depends on where you're listening, right? What well, it's fascinating when you, on the, the the final episode of season one's podcast uh, for Braver Way that I was uh, speaking of a little while ago, uh, you were reading some, I believe there were letters or e- emails that came in, and there was one individual who was really... Um, freaked out about the prospect of authoritarianism. We're slipping into authoritarianism and was lifting off, listing off kind of reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you queried the uh, person who, who was reading that letter around, so what do you think? What side of the divide was that person on? And I have to say I was flabbergasted when yeah. I heard that was somebody from the right wing. Isn't that incredible? So, so right. So is everything. You- and I have to say, in, and I, this happens so many times yeah. a week for me. I love when I encounter something that says, that makes me say, see, you thought you had it figured out and you didn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And I was asking Wilk to read that, you know, and Wilk is, Wilk is very right leaning, very right leaning. And um, yeah, so when we were preparing for that episode, I did tell him like, okay, Wilk, like I'm going to interrupt you and ask you this because I want listeners to have that moment to query their own assumptions. And the way the email was written, I'm on the left, right? All I hear is threats uh, of authoritarianism from the right. And so, of course, when I first saw that reader email, that's what I assumed. And it wasn't until like the last line where the reader clarified, you know, it's Biden and the radical leftists. And I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but like, but that's my blindness because talking to Wilk, Wilk hears this all the time on the right in his circles yeah. where people are like the radical left is destroying America, you know, and making compelling points to their own team. So, yeah, we need to kind of this is what I mean about we're so divided, we're blinded. Right. When you take a bigger view and look down, you start to see, wait a minute, some of these fears are echoing each other. So where's the truth? What's well, the absolutely. truth and how do we get to it? And yeah. I think a, a, a common a commonality emerges. And what that commonality is, is how prone to manipulation we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I wonder if there's an opportunity for a united front against dishonesty, against manipulation. I don't care if, y- y- you know, you have to be, if you're going to be a fully formed adult and a fully formed mm-hmm. engaged citizen, you have to be able to hear things you don't want to hear. And you have to be able to be skeptical around the messenger, whether that messenger is Donald Trump or Joe Biden or somebody on your school committee, that the real differentiator here is who's holding the megaphone. Because how can you possibly be informed about what so-called your side thinks or the other side if it's selective, uh, you know, selective information that's coming your way. And, you know, you often hear about comforting lies versus uncomfortable truths. Exactly. And, and it's not even like capital T true. It's just, it's complexity. Yeah. Being a human is complex. 
And yeah. wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all just boil everything down into a two-sentence soundbite and say, okay, well, that's why I'm right and they're wrong. Yeah. But the candidate or the leader who respects the electorate enough to say, this is complex stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you, but you, your end of the bargain is you have to be brave enough yep. to be able to hear some complex truths. Exactly. And that's why I think an undervalued source of truth these days, for so many reasons, is conversation across difference. Like a lot of people think, well, conversation across difference is just about learning how to be nice, learning how to tolerate. No, 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 no. Conversation across difference gets you closer to truth, even if none of you are experts on any issue. We're, we're a little too technocratic about this stuff, you yeah. know, that you can only learn from experts on something. You can only learn from, you know, really deep research. No, no, no. Like political truth, you know, what we ought to do to thrive together is not just about like stenography about world events, <laughs> you know, yes. it's about understanding each other's concerns, which have nothing to do with expertise uh, on any one topic. And so, gosh, the last several years, have just been the human race finding more and better and creative ways to avoid each other. That's what the last <laughs> many years have been. Oh, look, now we have a technology that allows me to order at the airport my lunch from a machine, and it's really good lunch. Now I don't even have to talk to someone at the register anymore. I'm just going to order stuff on the phone. Amazon's going to drop it off. Now we've got COVID. It's literally dangerous to be around other people. Hooray! Even more excuses for avoidance. We I believe that the, the tech it. pros applaud that as being frictionless. Oh, <laughs> frictionless. Now we can get more things done. Okay, tr I'm sure, true, but we're more lonely. We're more disconnected. We're more in our own heads. We spend more time absorbing ideas in the world, just me and my screen. Which, by the way, what I'm looking at at the screen is designed to psychologically hack my attention. Absolutely. It's not designed to serve truth. No. What, you know what I mean? We need a far more comprehensive and holistic like look at what's going on here. So, yeah, of course we're undervaluing conversation across differences as a source of truth. It is also extremely uncomfortable sometimes. But right. what we forget is it's also really fun. Really oh, absolutely. fun. And you don't you really don't engage in conversation with someone you don't care about. Like it, it, if I didn't care about you as a human being, I wouldn't be interested in the yeah. origins of your thought or why you fear that or why you're hopeful for this. I mean, if I just want sort of a laundry list of, um, you know, talking points around what you have for lunch today and how old your kid, then, mm -hmm. you know, you're only going to know somebody on a, on a very surface level. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. So people think, wait, you're asking me to talk to a Nazi tomorrow. It's like, no, no. <laughs> right. Why would I do that? Why would you? do No. Like, look how afraid you are. Right. Look how afraid we are of each other. Stop it. Yeah. You know, yeah. just it's not what you think. Now, I, I don't want to say, you know, as I said in my TED talk and it was a line I needed to say because it's true. There are some people so consumed by hate right. that they are worth fearing. Yes, there's a line beyond which danger 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 exists there is but, an okay. eternal vigilance that's necessary there is but but the bigger problem the far bigger problem that we encounter far more often is being afraid when we don't have to be yes and missing out on everything because of that yep. right so our fear of the monster that we might encounter one in a thousand times is keeping us from thousands of conversations and like that that's that's ludicrous and it, 
here's where I get on my soapbox, right? Because I'm a journalist. And I remember when I started out in journalism, going to journalism conferences, and I was still student learning, how many sessions journalists used to do back then about the dangers of fear mongering. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard journalists talk about the dangers of fear mongering to each other in years, because I think they know they're doing it. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> absolutely. And their, their We've business given models, in to fear mongering. <laughs> their business models have changed. And since the death or the demise, perhaps not the death of print journalism, when when everything is in the digital realm, the economics of that is very, very different. And, exactly. um, uh, you know, agitation pays the bills yes. and, and, and stoking the fire. But, uh, but here's what's even bills. worse. What's even worse than all of that is all the people who believe the fear. Right. They just start to think, no, it's real. Right. All these people really are that bad. And it's time what, to go to war. What have you learned about... Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, these types of breakthroughs where where really the, the wonderful accomplishment is that, you know, you and I came into a conversation and initially I viewed you as just someone holding a position and you viewed me as someone holding a position. But the end of the conversation, we just see each other as two people who have things we care about, things we fear, mm -hmm. things we hope for, et cetera, et cetera. What have you learned or discovered about how far out can you bring that in terms of does it does it really have to be chipped away uh, person to person or maybe one person to half a dozen people? Is there a number at which mm. it's just not that effective in terms of opening people's minds and inviting them to take that challenge to be a little braver? Oh, interesting. Uh, again, I don't have a ready answer for you. It's a great question. I think um, I think that the bigger the group, the more important structure becomes. Yeah. Um, and of course, structure, those kinds of artificial structures are few and far between and difficult to just spontaneously create. Right. right. So what that means in reverse to me is that the most powerful, the most powerful conversation and most likely to succeed in generating understanding across differences, the one to one conversation. It's just the best there is. And the one to one conversation in person is better than the one to one conversation over the phone, certainly over text messages. Um, but that's that's where and then people think, well, that's too small. That's yeah. too small. It's not, not going to make a change. And that there again, we find another reason to avoid each other, another reason to undervalue how conversation across difference is a source of truth. What happens in our brains is if we have one really interesting one-to-one -one conversation with someone who's different, the next time we even hear about someone who fits that category in our minds, we're going to go, well, maybe I'm wrong about them. Right. And just that openness, right, can come from one one-to-one -one conversation applied worldwide. So our brains do that. They look for patterns. And once we see that something doesn't fit our pattern and we dwell on it and reflect on it, the patterns start to lose their power in our minds, which means we're not stereotyping as much. This is good. So just a couple conversations, I'm telling you, will already do that for you. You know, if you just do that here and there, that's enough. Um, so yeah, big groups coming together and doing this, absolutely possible, certainly more difficult, tends to require structure, but not necessarily. Sometimes mm -hmm. communities have organically figured out their own mechanics and dynamics, mm -hmm. and they're able to do that. There's tons of examples of that across the country of really incredible communities that just figured figured out how to lead themselves. And that's the thing is like, I think that's the ultimate reward. When we really, really get to know each other and start to spend time with each other, we learn everything from what your concerns are, what your experiences have been. I'm reminded over and over again to be careful to judge you too harshly because, oh boy, you have a different life than me. Okay. But then I also get to learn from you things like, 
what pushes your buttons? And I find that to be a, a beautiful, delicate thing. And here's why. And this, this applies to my family very, very much. Um, the four of us know our buttons. Mm-hmm. We know how to push them. <laughs> As only so, families do. <laughs> we know. We know. And so some of the most respectful things we can do is not push our the other person's buttons, even when we know we can. Right. So when we're talking about politics, I know what to say to my mom to twist the knife on something about her vote for Trump. I know what to say, but I don't. And she recognizes that I didn't, which 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 is a way that she knows that I'm respecting her. Right. right. And vice versa. I'm really respecting her. I'm here for her. So when a, when a community that's a community of four. Right. But when a community starts to learn that and starts to be proactively respectful, because I know what pushes your buttons, it is in my interest to push your buttons. But I love you too much for that. I'm yeah. not going to do that. That that has echoes that just heal um, and, and grow and cultivate. And then we get into the spiritual realm and sort of the, you know, Things where like, oh, I don't know if that's scientific. It's like, who cares? We know how humans work, okay? We know how we work. We know what it feels like to be heard. And Have it's you magic. given any thought to how we might know what we might see, what might be different if and when these types of conversations start to take root and start to proliferate? Have I given thought to it? Yeah. It still feels really utopian in my mind. I don't want to... I don't want to live in that world too much because then I'll start, you know, going out into the world and spewing unicorns and butterflies and people yeah, be like, who yeah, is yeah, this? Yeah. Right. But <laughs> so I recognize that. But um, but, but no, I, I don't even think it is unicorns and butterflies. I mean, it's it's everything that we have today. Everything, every judgment, every bit of anger, every, you know, extreme belief. Just add curiosity. Just add humility because it goes in part curiosity humility empathy they all kind of live in the same universe so those same people with those same extreme beliefs but wondering what they're missing changes the world right so so yeah it's like if that can become infectious um again it's not like we're going to end up with everyone's a moderate no 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 like at all i could i'm telling you that is not stop being afraid of that it's not what's going to but we will be able to have far better negotiations around these issues. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're going to resolve them for all time, because with a lot of these issues, that's kind of impossible. But all we can do is find the best balance for now. So instead of avoiding that negotiation, throwing rocks and grenades at the other side so that we make no progress, switching from, well, whoever's in power is going to undo what the last party did, which is idiotic. We actually become better humans together. We right. become better societies together and we march forward. Right now we are stuck. Um, and we think we're stuck because the other side is so incurious, because the other side is so mean. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Listen to Taylor Swift, right? As I said in episode 10, it's me. Hi, <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. We're all the problem. We're all the problem. Stop saying it's the other side. Nope. Nope, you're part of it too. We're all part of it. We're all part of it. I'm so, glad we I, I'm glad we fit in a Taylor Swift reference because we have to. gosh, if there's if there's one individual out there just fighting for some recognition, it's Taylor. It's Swift. Definitely she's, Taylor she's just Swift. not getting the airtime she deserves. 
<laughs> so true. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she even went to the Super Bowl to try to get attention. Exactly. Jeez. <laughs> I I didn't fall into that trap. I looked no, away not for at the all. entirety. I didn't watch the, the whole game just looking for flashes. Well, I looked of away for the, the entirety of the cumulative 40 uh, 54 seconds that she was shown. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody did a breakdown. That's how they really added did. all up all the shots of Taylor. That's Schiffen. a lot for a football game broadcast. Seconds. That's Over a lot. three and a half hours. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Lord. It, it definitely is. So tell me a little bit about maybe what you know, or maybe you don't know yet. Maybe you're just putting it together. Season two, when can listeners expect it to be available? And, and what did you learn from season one that you want to make sure carries over to season two uh, of A Braver Way? Yeah, so season two is coming out in the spring, date okay. TBD. We are already interviewing, uh, you know, new rounds of guests. Uh, what we've learned from season one applying to season two, we're going to be experimenting with more ways to bring listeners' voices right into the podcast because that's been the intention from the beginning is like, look, you're not alone. You're yep. not alone. We're in, we're in this together. We want to hear from you. And you're part of this larger story that we're constructing together. Yeah. So I'm really excited about some of the ways that we're going to be doing that. Fantastic. We'll, we'll be listening for that. Monica Guzman, the host of A Braver Way, the podcast. Uh, listeners, check it out. I challenge you to be brave. I challenge mm -hmm. you to be courageous. And listen to it. Your brain's going to thank you for doing it. She's also the author of a book called I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. Monica, thanks so much for this chat. I really enjoyed it. This was fabulous. Thank you so much for having me.